Father, as our ultimate parent, you are gracious, merciful, slow to anger, patient, and abounding in steadfast love and loving kindness, and you show all these things to us, your undeserving children. We're so grateful. You alone are our creator, maker, designer, and sustainer. You alone are our savior, messiah, deliverer, and rescuer. We, we worship you alone. As we look at today's passage, teach us to emulate your ultimate fathering in how we disciple others in our families, in our church family, in our workplaces, in order to spread and then live out your life-giving gospel. Help me to speak your words, Lord Jesus. In this moment, I need your power and your strength and your anointing. Through Christ we pray. Amen. to read today's scripture. Today's passage is Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news, news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Scott, good job. We try to give Scott the longer passages just to ch give him a little bit of a... <laughs> just to give him a challenge. He's up for it every time. Um, anyhow, we are continuing our current sermon series. This is the series on the book of Philippians, and we're going through it verse by verse uh, all the way through. And, and the theme of the entire book is to live as Christ. And what that means is the essence of what it is to, quote, to live as Christ is to serve Christ and pursue his mission. Well, that's how you really live. That's the sweet spot of living, okay? And there's a lot of deep joy and satisfaction that comes with serving Christ with your life and with all your heart. Now, specifically for today, our message title just happened to fall on Father's Day, as it were, very appropriately, and the title of today's message is simply Fathers and Sons. Fathers and Sons. Okay, so, you know, I'm a dad, I have two kids, I'm a little biased on this, but modern research has discovered time and again how essential loving, engaged dads are to their children and on their children's future. I'm biased, okay? But anyhow, it's true. Uh, in short, the research about how essential, how important engaged dads are has sprung out of the now decades-old experiment that we've been running 
in Western culture, and basically the experiment has been, it's okay for dads to be absent. We don't need dads. And now we've, we've now have a track record of evidence that has run for decades, literally, um, and things have gotten so bad that researchers, Christian or not, have gone back to examining why our culture is so messed up. Why are so many men in jail? Uh, why are so many relationships and marriages failing? <laughs> why are so many people battling addictions of all sorts and kinds? Well, according to fatherly.com, researchers have come up with a scientific term that nicely describes the very positive good effect that good, engaged, yes, very imperfect dads have on their kids. And this, if this, this thing is called the father effect. Have you heard of the father effect before? Uh, the father effect. And the father effect is all about the helpful, good benefits of a paternal presence in the home. When dads are actively engaged and, and you know, they, they not only like and love their kids, they're actually involved in their lives and trying to help them and, and train them and so on. The fact is, you may have noticed this, dads parent in a different way than moms, generally speaking. Dads are different. Dads generally look different than mom. They sound different than mom. They play with their kids in a different way than mom. They usually have a different approach to raising the kids than a mother has. And you can see God's good design, complementary design with moms and dads, okay? I mean, dads are okay with letting their kids take risks where moms sometimes are not as much, okay? Uh, but there are exceptions to that rule. But anyhow, let me just list a few very good, great benefits that active, uh, engaged, present dads have on their kids in the home. First of all, kids with engaged dads are less likely uh, to drop out of school or wind up in jail. Interesting. Most men in jail, almost to a person, almost to a dude, they had either an absent dad or a dysfunctional dad that's a big reason why they're in jail, okay? Big reason. Secondly, kids who have close relationships with their dads are less likely, likely to have sex at a young age outside of marriage. Plus, kids with an engaged dad tend to avoid other high-risk behaviors in their life. Thirdly, kids with engaged dads are more likely to, to have higher-paying jobs and enjoy healthy, stable relationships. And lastly, Kids with engaged dads also tend to have, interestingly, higher IQ scores at the age of three, already starting at the age of three. That's powerful. That's the effect, the good effect that dads who are engaged with their kids can have. And along with this, generally, kids with engaged dads have less psychological problems throughout their lives. And again, this is having a dad that's, yes, very imperfect, but investing in their kids in healthy and present ways. Do you see how good the father effect is on our kids. The point is, of this story, is in like manner, I want you to have a father-like effect as a Christian, as a church member, on those in and around you, where whether you're male or whether you're female, you're having a father-like effect on, on others around you. you. Those that you are discipling and training up in the ways of Jesus, you are wanting them to flourish, to grow, to reflect increasingly the, the servant-hearted nature and character of Christ in their lives and in their thoughts, and you're seeing this displayed in, in their lives, that's what you want to see. It's sort of like a father-like effect that you have on the lives of others that you are discipling. And so 
We want this in all of us. We want to have this kind of influence on those around us. And in our passage today, the Apostle Paul kind of describes this this father-like effect that he has had on two spiritual sons that he names. And these men, these young men, and their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Say Epaphroditus ten times fast, I dare you. It's very challenging. Uh, At least it is for me, and I'm I'm sure sure to butcher it today. But anyhow, from Paul's example, on these young men and investing in them and fathering them as a spiritual father, uh, we sort of get to to learn some things and apply some things and and glean some things that are valuable to our life and also the life of the church. And so let's dive into this pool. The first point from this passage that Scott read earlier, the first thing that I want us to, to turn our attention to is this. Simply, in your notes, if you're following along, seek to serve the interests of Christ and your church family. That's what we see here. Seek to serve the interests of of Jesus and our church family. This is sort of like the father-like effect that we are to have. This is what fathers do. They sacrifice for their family. Well, we are to do the same for Christ and for others. And we get this specifically. We're going to read, read verses 19 to 21. And it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. There he is, one of his spiritual sons. Send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this Timothy guy, and we need to know more about Timothy. Well, Timothy, who is he? Well, he is Paul's uh, co-worker. I mean, they are tight. They work together a lot. They, have, they spend perhaps decades together, and Timothy happens to be a fellow ministry uh, companion, team member, He is a fellow church planter, a fellow pastor of churches. Timothy is very much also younger than Paul and and, an understudy of Paul, his assistant, if you will. In fact, two whole books of the Bible, if you look in the New Testament, there's two whole books that are given to, that are letters from Paul to Timothy. And in these letters, Paul's basically describing how to be a a good pastor, how to be a good Bible teacher, how to be a, a church leader. Very valuable stuff in these books. So Timothy's a big deal in Paul's life. And as part of what part of being Paul's understudy and assistant, uh, Paul, because you know he's older, and when you're older you can't travel around or move around as well as you once did. And so Paul was a writing machine. He, he wrote all these letters to these churches. And who did he send? The young guy. He's, of course he sent the young guy to then take this letter to the various churches in and around the Roman world at that time. Um, he was just more mobile, okay? And in fact, Timothy, Timothy, though, very much loved by Paul. Paul treats this guy like a father loves a son. And Timothy has proven himself to be this loyal, stable, he's not a here today, gone tomorrow kind of guy. Like, he's sticking around. He is stable. He is hardworking. He's a young servant of Christ. And Paul loves this guy. Let's get back to verses 20, 19 to 21 here very quickly. To summarize, he is hoping, Paul is hoping, he's going to send Timothy from Paul's jail in Rome to then go off and visit this Philippian church quite a ways away. And the reason that he's wanting to send them to that church is so that Timothy can can bring back news to Paul once he comes back about how this Philippian church is doing. I mean, Paul not only cares for Timothy, he cares for this church that God helped him start years earlier. But notice how Paul describes Timothy. 
he describes Timothy with this massive compliment. Don't you love it when you get massive compliments? We probably don't compliment each other enough. But the massive compliment he shares about Timothy is simply, I have no one like this guy that is genuinely concerned for your welfare. I mean, he's all about serving the interests of Christ and others and your interests. And so Timothy uh, deeply cares for this Philippian church family as well, like Paul does. Then, bear with me, Paul contrasts Timothy to other people. Did you see the contrast there? Verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know who Paul has in mind when he says this. It could be other understudies, other young men that Paul has tried to to disciple and train in the ways of Christ and church ministry. Or Paul could be just speaking in general terms that the world is a very selfish place. It's all about themselves. Uh, The the world is struggling with self-obsession. And we don't know. Would you agree, maybe our culture is kind of struggling with that as well? I mean, Instagram? I'm never on there. Because I I don't trust myself. It'd be all about me somehow. I don't know. I'm not saying that Instagram is a horrible thing. It can be used for good purposes. And many of you use Instagram for that way. But a lot of Instagram is all about self, self-obsession, promoting self. Look how great I am. Look, I'm living my best life now. And and I want to tell everybody about it. And looking out for number one. And and it's just kind of gone bad. And it's interesting. Really, I think, I believe our culture is fascinated and trying very, very hard to train our kids to be all about themselves. It's like the idea, if you don't care about you, who else will? If you're not all about you, who else will be all about you? And that's sort of the the idea that our culture trains our kids. And there's some level of self-preservation going on here, uh, which in one sense can be good, but it's self-preservation gone wild. It's gotten out of hand here. But Timothy, he's not like that. He's not like being self, he's not self-obsessed at all. He's, in fact, he's Christ-obsessed obsessed, and he's others-obsessed. He's church-obsessed. And this kind of reminds me of my dad, this idea of serving other, other people's interests. And I thought, you know, Father's Day, I better talk about my dad. And yes, he had some faults going on. He's very imperfect. But there's a lot of good qualities about dad as well. Uh, dad only had six children. I mean, only six. I mean, come on. Come on, only six. And I was one of them, as it turns out. And uh, he was a farmer in northern Alberta. He grew crops like wheat, barley, all the rest, fescue, which is grass seed. Uh, He raised chickens. He raised cattle. And that's a very stinky uh, line of work, let me tell you. It was not pretty, okay? But he did it. And incredibly, this man, my dad, uh, for decades, he milked our milk cow in the morning and evening. Okay, if you don't milk your cow twice a day... Bad things happen to cows, apparently. I mean, it never exploded, but it just is not good for the cow. Uh, I'm not good with, I'm not a farmer, okay? I'm a farmer's son. But anyhow, so twice a day, so you know what that meant? This man did not go on vacation for decades. Like, I don't think he knew what a vacation was. Because every day, he had to milk that crazy cow in the morning and night. I mean, it was great. He had lots of cream around, okay? Lots of milk. If you like milk, bam. But that was about it. And so why in the world would anybody choose this hard, very smelly farming lifestyle? Well, he probably enjoyed some of it. There was a passion there for the farming lifestyle. 
But, you know, Dad slugged it out, milking these cows twice a day. He did all of this hard grunt work for decades. He did it for us. He did it for our family. He did it for my mom, his wife. It's what dads do. They take responsibility for the interests of others. That's what a father's job description is, to look after others under their care. Be concerned for the welfare of others. Don't look just to your own interests. Look to the interests of those under your care. There's no self-obsession in the, the job description of dad. And so let me challenge you with that. Again, we're thinking about how can you have a father-like effect on those in and around you in your church family. So Mercy Hill Church member, like Timothy, are you concerned about this church, about the welfare of this church? Are you, when you come here, are you opening your ears to listen to what others are saying and, and maybe there's good things happening in your life or maybe there's some rotten things going on and your, your ears are open to that because you want to give counsel, you want to give encouragement to that situation. Do you encourage the discouraged when they come here? And then do you pray for whatever needs you're made aware of by other church members during the week? Further? See, I could go on and on about this. Do you abide with. So it's not just you're concerned about your church family, but are you concerned about Jesus more so so that you're abiding, you're, you're connecting with Jesus in order to revisit what interests Jesus? What's in the Bible? What would he have me do? What mission would he have me pursue? How does he want me to love others in my life? And we're revisiting this book, uh, talking to Jesus in prayer as well, and connecting with Scripture and prayer with our group, our community group as well, because we want to revisit what interests Jesus, because so easily we wander off and we're starting to think about my own interests and this and that, except for the main man's interests. That's, his interests are most important for you and for me. Are we doing that like Timothy experienced in his life? All right, as the Holy Spirit empowers us, let us seek to serve the interests of Christ and others in our church family. We can do this, and I know it's happening as well, so I'm encouraged by that. Let's move on to number two in your notes. The second point that we see in this passage is this, simply disciple others in the gospel like a father trains up his son. Disciple others in the gospel like a father trains up his son. Now, what this means is, let's talk about that word disciple. There's some confusion around that word disciple. It's not a common cultural word that we use, you know, in your workplace. Um, but the word disciple, it literally means to be a student, a learner, a follower, an intern of Jesus, okay? That's what a disciple is. But in this sense, we're not using it that way. Uh, it, we're using it in, as a verb, an action word, okay? I know some grammar, and I know that Disciple can be both a noun and, and, a, and a verb, okay? So this is something you do, something Christians do. In fact, to, to disciple somebody else, that is the primary action that King Jesus tells his followers to do with your Christian life. So did you know that your main action, the main thing that interests Jesus for you is to actually disciple someone else and disciple others? That's, that's mainly what he wants you to do. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Commissioning words, last words before he goes to heaven, tells us, make disciples of all nations. There it is. So, wait a minute, though. How in the world am I supposed to, are you supposed to make uh, disciples? How, what do we do? Well, we get a clear idea from this passage. And let's reread verses 22 to 24. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go for me, with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so here we see a bit of a snippet about how Paul disciples Timothy, his younger understudy. He disciples Timothy like a father disciples his son, like a father trains up his son for life. This is the nature of Paul's discipling relationship with Timothy. Interestingly, the New Testament of the Bible very often uses family language, okay, when it comes to describing the life of the church. We're family, whether you like your family or not, we are family, okay? And we are made up of spiritual brothers and sisters here, brothers and sisters from different mothers. That's kind of how it works. And in Christ, what happens is the moment that you are born again, you become a follower of Jesus, you trust in him, instantaneously in that moment, you are born into a new family, the family of God. And this is a local expression of the family of God. What an opportunity we have to experience family here at Mercy Hill Church. In our local church family, um, this is where we receive, like Matt is my spiritual brother, Scott is my spiritual brother. We are spiritual brothers and sisters here. It's amazing. And you instantly receive them. So when someone is baptized here in our church, instantly, bam, they get all these new uh, spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters. Again, you may not th like, think you like them all or, or want them all, but they're family. And you need them. It's amazing. What a gift. And taking this a bit further, based on the example of Paul, when you disciple someone else, you become a kind of spiritual father, a spiritual parent to that person. Now, this got me to thinking a little bit about my experience as a dad. How I have tried, tried, I failed a lot. Very imperfect dad, let me reassure you. My kids can, can tell you about that. But I've tried to train up my kids uh, for life as a dad. Uh, in addition to, you know, I won't go on, I don't want to sort of virtue signal about, you know, all the Bible verses I've forced them to memorize and all the catechism and theological truths I've had them memorize and those are wonderful things and how to pray, all that stuff. The key things I want to focus on just for sake of argument here, I'm still trying and have been trying to teach my kids and model for my kids some key things, key principles. You may be doing this as well. Things like working hard. You got to work hard in your school, work hard in your future job. Uh, tell the truth. Tell the truth relentlessly. Even if it means it's going to harm you, you tell the truth. Further, admit your failures. Admit you're messed up. You got sin going on. And then own your failures. Own your sin. Okay? Repent well. Repent well. Another one, respect your parents. I mean, it's biblical. All right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That was the first Bible verse I had to memorize. Uh, I think Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Is that right? I think I've lost it now. But anyhow, I love that verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Anyhow, I digress. The reason that I try to train and disciple my kids about these various things is because I want to set them up for successful adulthood. I want to prepare them for adulthood, to succeed in their education, to succeed in their future jobs. And success does not necessarily mean this. It just means finding something that they're passionate about, can make enough money in to provide for themselves and provide their, for their family. But I want, what I'm trying to do is replicate what my parents did in me 
They invested in me. Now I'm passing that on to my own kids, and my hope and prayer is that they'll pass it on <clears throat> to their own kids, and on and on it goes as they enter and as the grandchildren and great-grandchildren enter into higher roles of responsibility to face. It will become second nature to them. It will be second nature to them about how to conduct themselves in their marriage and how to conduct themselves in their job and in universe. Just second nature because they've been invested in all these years. Same, but my point is, this is not just me uh, bragging about myself. Hopefully it doesn't come across that way. But it's the same sort of idea, you see, for you, for us, for me, when we disciple others in our church family. You, you help point people to Jesus. You help them to be born again into God's family. But you share the gospel about Jesus. You say, Jesus lived your life. He died on the cross for your sins in your place. He rose again. Would you like to repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and be baptized? And people say yes to this kind of stuff, by the way. It's amazing. And that's when they're born again. The Holy Spirit invades their heart and their life and born again. And then, like Paul did with Timothy and as fathers do with their own sons, you start to teach a new believer about the ways of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, the instructions of Jesus. You teach them how to feed themselves with Bible intake. They learn how to under, understand God's word and how to apply it to their lives. They understand how to pray for themselves. They learn how to serve their church family and, and serve others. And you train them to then also disciple others in the ways of Jesus as well and how to share the gospel with those who are not yet Christians and how to do that with their co-workers and their neighbors and so on and, and so forth. It's all about reproduction, you see. The reason that anyone is here as a Christian, it's because someone shared Christ with you, and then that, someone shared Christ with that person, and then someone shared Christ with that person, and you can trace the discipleship from now all the way back 2,000 years ago to Jesus, and we're just trying to keep on pursuing the mission of Jesus in this way to make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. So my, my challenge is simply, are you discipling somebody? Are you? Parents, are you discipling your kids? This is not a guilt bomb, by the way. I think it's happening a lot, actually. But are you training your kids up in the ways of Jesus? Are you discipling somebody in your workplace who is showing some openness to the gospel? Are you discipling someone here, maybe in a community group or a one-to-one -one discipleship sort of arrangement that you have? Are you discipling somebody? That's our primary mission. We can do this, just like Paul did it with Timothy the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the strength and the wisdom in this great task. All right, I've lost my place. Let's move on to point number three and see what happens. Number three in your notes that we see out of this passage is simply risk your life for Christ. <laughs> uh, we're just amping it up along the way here, just getting more and more intense. Risk your life for Christ. And I mean this very seriously, by the way. This kind of reminds me, remember these these new newspaper ads, and I think I've shown them in various sermons over the years. You see these, these ancient, these old newspaper ads in the classified, classifieds from days gone by. And these classified ads are looking to recruit people. For example, the Pony Express, and, and basically, or these might have been sailors, looking for sailors to join this great exploration to the Antarctic. And basically, the ads kind of went like this, looking for riders or looking for fellow sailors, and the, the hook... Their hook in these recruitment ads went something like, your life will be miserable. The pay's going to be low, maybe non-existent. You will suffer like never before. 
you will likely acquire multiple nasty diseases. Plus, you're going to die. Probably. Sign up here. Or call this number. Sign up here. Amazingly, these were very effective recruitment techniques. Very effective. Why? Guys were, especially men, I guess men were, you know, not, not the smartest. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. Uh, <laughs> they were effective because, as I blow up my point here, they were effective because they believed the cause was worth risking their lives for. If you believe your cause is worth giving up your life for, that cause to you is paramount. It is massive. It is important. And i got to say, this is what the man Epaphroditus believed about the mission of Jesus. He believed that the mission of Jesus and Jesus himself was worth risking his very life breath for. Being a Christian back in that day and time, it was a dangerous thing. We miss that. Unless you, today, we don't miss it. If you live in northern India, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, uh, where else? China, on and on. You name Burma, you name the Muslim country in the Middle East. It is a dangerous prospect to be a Christian, period. We have no understanding of that here. Um, but that was really the case back in Epaphroditus's day. Let me just quickly read uh, the bit about Epaphroditus and how he risked, risked his life. Verses 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was, what was lacking in your service to me. Let me talk about Epaphroditus. We talked about Timothy. Let's talk about Epaphroditus. Again, say that five times fast. It's very difficult. He is a church member of the Philippian church, you see. And he is the one that Paul sends to give the Philippian church this very letter that we now have in our Bibles today. So no, no Epaphroditus, no book or letter of Philippians. So we should be very grateful for this man. He made it back, obviously. That's why we have it today. But backing up, here's what you need to know about Paul. I talked a little bit about this previous Sundays. Paul, he's under house arrest, probably in Rome. And the reason that he's been arrested, he's been basically charged with sharing the gospel. Paul is all about speaking boldly the gospel to those who are not yet Christians and living out the gospel and what it means in the life of Jesus. He was arrested for that, put in jail for this. And again, we have no idea how dangerous it was to be a Christian in that time and age. The Philippian church, though, they get wind, they get message that Paul's in jail. They hear about this, they're freaked out, and they put together and assemble what we, what we would call in modern times today a care package. You ever get a care package? Someone's, you just had a baby, someone gives you a care package, or you're moving away, they give you a care package, and they, they give Paul a care package because in jail, there's not much care there at all, so he needs all the care he can get, and they give him all these various supplies, and part of his supplies included some money. And not just a little bit, they gave him a fair bit of money. We don't know how much. But that's Christian love, okay? So they send to Paul all of these supplies and this money 
they send Epaphroditus to take it to Paul to get it there. And this is quite some ways away from Philippi. He makes it to Rome, fortunately. He gives Paul this care package successfully. But the problem is, we don't know at some point, maybe on the way to Rome or when he is spending time with Paul in that place in Rome, the guy gets really sick, and he gets so sick that he nearly dies on Paul. It's just really bad. But amazingly, thanks to God's grace and his healing power, God restores Epaphroditus' health, and Paul now sends this very letter back to the Philippian church with this same man, this restored and healthy Epaphroditus, and sends him back to his church family. Here's what Epaphroditus did, though. He risked his life for Christ. You see, to travel long distances in those ancient times, that was a harrowing experience. There was no smartphone, no GPS, no Google Maps, no planes, trains, automobiles, probably traveled by foot, okay? Then you had to, on your travels, you had to deal with robbers who were always hiding and sneaking around in deserted places to try to steal you, maybe kill you in, in some cases, and then if you got sick, you couldn't just go to the hospital. There, was, there were doctors, but there certainly wasn't any semblance of a Medicare system that we have today in modern times that would have, you know, we have, how many diseases are, are we prevented from getting just because of the vaccines that we get to enjoy? Uh, so all this to say, this guy was putting his life on the line at risk, especially carrying all these supplies. He's carrying a lot of money as well. I mean, putting a target on his, on his back, Right? And he almost dies in transporting this to Paul, but it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth every second of sacrifice. Why? Because ultimately, who was he risking his life for? Jesus. Jesus. The mission of Jesus, it was worth it. And what I'm saying, <clears throat> what am I saying to you, Mercy Hill Church? Should you hop on a plane tomorrow go to the most hostile place in the world where it's not only dangerous to travel to, it's dangerous to be a Christian in? Am I suggesting that you should do this? I am saying maybe. 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 There's large numbers of people who don't have even access to the gospel, let alone have they ever heard the gospel. So maybe that's you. We need more people to take that kind of risk who are good with other cultures to go to these unreached places in the world to speak and live out the gospel. If that's you, or if you have any passion for that, you've got to read Hudson Taylor's biography. You've got to read Adoniram Judson's biography. There's breathtaking missionary biographies about how they do cross-cultural work in very, very hostile places to reach people for Christ. So that might be you. So yeah, you might need to get on a plane tomorrow. I mean, or plan, plan for this at some point. But for most of us, this is probably where Surrey, Langley, Lower Mainland, where God wants us to be. And he wants us to serve and disciple people right here. And being a Christian here generally does not get you killed, fortunately, at this time. It might at some point down the road, but you still have to risk your life in smaller ways for the sake of Christ. You do, I do, we do, to help even more people meet Jesus and become Christians. For example, for you to express your faith in your workplace to your coworkers in a wise, and not in a, not in a crazy, you know, ugly way, loud way, 
even to do, do it in a careful, loving, gentle way, respectful way, yes, you can get fired for that. You can get fired for this. Is it worth the risk? Yes, it is. Or, if you express your faith in Jesus with your extended family members or your neighbors, yes, they may distance you. They may keep away from you. They don't want to hear. They, they hear you're a Christian. They're just, it's like a, you're diseased or something. Okay? But is it worth it? Yes, it is. Is that mistreatment worth it? Yes, it is. Because you never know. You never know when they'll be open, more open to the gospel and they'll be more open to the gospel because they saw you sticking your neck out and taking risks, relational risks for Jesus. They're like, if, if he was willing to do that, if she was willing to do that, they must really believe that stuff. There must be something to that gospel. Maybe I should be more open to it. Very often, anger is the first response to the gospel, by the way. So when someone responds angrily to hearing about Christ, when I share Christ with them, I don't take it personally. I think, step one. Let's pray for step two for openness down the road. But are we willing to take risks for Christ? I better bring this message in for a landing. Uh, to recap, Mercy Hill Church, for us to have the same sort of father effect, father-like effect on our church family that Paul had on Timothy and Epaphroditus, for us to have that father-like effect on our circle of relationships, number one, here's what we got to do. we got to seek it to serve the interests of Christ and our church family. Number two, disciple others in the gospel like a father trains up a son. And thirdly, lastly, risk your life. Risk your life for Christ because he's worth it, his mission is worth it, and his church is worth it. Let's pray together. You are worth it, Lord Jesus. You are worth it. Your church is worth it. Motivate and empower us to lay it all down for you, to risk everything for you. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We get distracted with other missions and other causes, and the pull towards self is something we're always fighting against because of remaining sin in us. And so we ask that you get our, get our focus off of ourselves Get our focus first and foremost on you, Lord Jesus, and then on your mission. Help us, Lord. We ask that you would, through us, empower us to have a father-like effect on those in and around us, in our families, in our church family, and in our workplaces. But we need your help toward that end. And so we, we ask for it right here, right now. And we expect it. We expect it. We love you, Lord. We love you for laying down your life for us, risking it all for us, Lord Jesus through your life, death, and resurrection. Through Christ we pray. Amen.